All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back from spring break. Who uh, who traveled a great distance? Anybody travel more than an hour? Where did you all go? To Texas, to Dallas, or somewhere else? The Dallas area? Home, which was? And Broken Bow, which, how was that, what, about an hour? Oh, Broken Bow is four hours. Really? Wow. Broken Arrow is what I was thinking. Broken Bow is like where it's really pretty in the southeast, right? I haven't been camping there yet. Where'd you go? I went to Germany. Well, I think you won. (laughs) Wow. Where'd you go in Germany? That's pretty awesome. Was uh, well, of course, all this crazy stuffs happening in Libya and everything. Was the flying it all? It was good. Yeah, it worked out. Everything great. was okay schedule wise. Yeah. Wow. Were you just in Berlin or other places too? No, I just went home. Yeah, just in the week. Good for you. Wow. Well, we did the 25 hours in the car out to California thing, so that was uh, that was fun. I was amazed at how much money you can uh, need to spend when you go to Disney. So <clears throat> we budgeted and kind of exceeded our budget a little bit. Yeah. But you did do the dining plan, right? The dining plan? No, oh, we were we were ridiculous. We yeah, my wife made reservations at these totally expensive places, and it was like, okay, you're really going to charge us that much for a piece of meat? Yeah. But um, see the dining plan, you pay a certain price per day. Uh huh. And you can go to like, the table sitting. Really. We, we need to we need to check that. We this children's pastors conference that she attended is also in Orlando, and it won't be spring break next year. And so we're thinking about maybe um, trying to go in Orlando. Actually, my son never smiles, and this one photograph was like the best picture of the whole trip. It was like awesome. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hopefully, you're gonna you're gonna smile, at Disney. How many of you either shared pictures or? Had other people share pictures with you online over spring break? Anybody? Anybody else? What did, on Facebook or uh, some on Tumblr? Really cool. We're gonna talk about Tumblr day. Anybody share any pictures on Facebook or see other people's spring break pictures? The statistics for New Year's on Facebook. I don't know exactly. I don't have them right here, but I mean, Facebook has become the number one photo sharing site in the world, and just. New Year's Eve alone, millions and, and millions of pictures were shared, you know, just that one night on there. So today we are going to have quite a few Pechacuches, and I'm going to try to go fast for our beginning part because uh, we had three people that did not get to go last week in the 9 a.m., and I'd really like to, if we can, get everybody to finish um, today. Um, what we're going to talk about is, um, well, we have copyright on here as our topic, and depending on how much time we have, We may just end up seeing the first video to talk a little bit about copyright, but I think I'll actually start with the app share, and then we will um, talk about our um, talk a little bit about copyright, and then jump into our petrachuches. Bless you. How many of you have heard of a Photo 365 project? Has anybody heard of that before? So this is my Photo 365. My uh, middle daughter got new glasses, and so what do you notice about that photo? Yeah, it's kind of funky colored. And have you ever seen those uh, greeting cards where the guy is giving the rose to the girl and it's all black and white except for the rose, which is this beautiful red? Well, um, there's all kinds of different apps that you can use for uh, image editing. Uh, 
Um, this one is a 99 cent app I use called Color Splash, and that's the one that I, that I use to edit this. But a, a Photo 365 project basically means you just take a picture each day and you share it, and it can be of all different kinds of things. Um, we're starting to move. We did close on our house right before spring break, so um, we will have an open lab this week on Friday from 8 to 9.30, and I'll, I'll confirm that. I've got to go upstairs and, and, and reserve the lab. Um, but our actual movers are like taking our beds and everything in our house after lunch on Friday. So, um, did you all see the supermoon? It's like the worst picture ever of the supermoon. <laughs> it's hard to take moon pictures at night, especially when you're in the car in Gallup, New Mexico. Um, this was something that was a little different about spring break. Have you heard of Glimpse before? Glimpse is a app and service where you can privately share your location for where you are. So my um, moms or my mom and dad are in Kansas, and my wife's family is or parents are here in Oklahoma. And when we're on our trip, they were interested, you know, to know where we are. So I just took a little screenshot of it. But you can send them a text message just to their phone, and then they click a link and they can see exactly where you are, what your speed is. That makes you feel a little conspicuous, doesn't it? Ooh. And you decide how long you want them to be able to see it. So you can only leave it open for 15 minutes, or I think four hours is the most. And that's free. It's called Glimpse. We've used that before. Um, another service called Looped to, to do that, especially when we're meeting somewhere. Sometimes we'll both like leave and meet in Wichita or something. And it's kind of cool because you can see exactly where, where people are. So a Photo 365 project encourages you to uh, just kind of take different pictures. This was fun. It was at the Air and Space Museum in uh, San Diego on an infrared camera. And we learned that my wife has a cold nose and my middle daughter must genetically have inherited that cold nose because you can see, these are my, my glasses on my face. You can see that those were, were cold there. So anyway, lots of different fun pictures. That's called a vignette, which is a dark darkening around. That was a dark vignette. This was a lighter vignette that's around. And so um, you can do all sorts of fun things with images. And then how do you share them? Well, Tumblr is the site that um, I'm going to show you real quick on, on how to use. So this is uh, my 365 page. Tumblr is what's called a quick blog, or I don't know if it's what it's called, but it, it's what I would refer to it. Just really, really quick place to share media um, and text. Um, I wanted to learn more about Tumblr, so that's where I set up my 365 blog this year. Oops, I misspelled that. Posturus is the other website, and I really like Posturus even better. It works with email. If you can send an email attachment, you can share stuff on a Posturus site, and, and both of them are, are very similar. So I'm going to go ahead and unplug this and, plug, and see if this will work again. I picked up a new iPad um, in Amarillo at Best Buy on our way out to California, and for, for me, definitely the number one best thing about the iPad 2 is the fact that it is 100% video out. So you don't have to do anything fancy. It um, sends everything um, out to, a, uh, if you have a VGA cable or HDMI, which I don't think anybody in schools has those. That's what you have on your flat screen TV maybe at home. Um, it'll, it'll send all that out. So um, the way that you share, you've got photos and videos that you'd have on your photo roll. And so these are some photos that we took um, in San Diego. The girls made candles. They dipped their candles and made little rainbow candles. 
Um, you could manipulate the images in different ways. I actually went ahead and downloaded Color Splash. There is a Color Splash for iPad, um, but I didn't. I haven't bought that one. I have this one, so I'm going to just um, maximize it. If you've got an iPhone version, you can just double the size, and you can kind of see how this works. So here's Sarah's picture, and what you can do, it'll make it black and white, and we can zoom in using two fingers, and then I can just paint over the part that I want to make color. And I can see it a couple different ways. I can um, see it red like that, and if I want to paint over the gray, I can use my finger to try and get a more precise selection. As you might guess, it took me a little while to be able to get that picture of her with uh, her glasses and everything like that. But anyway, that's you know just one example of image, of image manipulation. And then I can save that image, and it'll save to my photo roll. So now in my photo roll, I've got that picture, and I can share that image uh, or any of the other ones that I've got here. So. The way that um, bless you, the way that Tumblr works, you can post from Tumblr from the web. But if you download the app, um, it'll load up the app, and I think yeah, um, you've got a dashboard that'll show you your past posts and other things. And then this is the post screen where you choose what you want to post. Do you want to do a photo, a video, a link? What do you want to share? And so I'll just click a photo. Do I want to take a new one or choose an existing one? I'll choose an existing one, and then I can just pick the picture that I would like to share. Um, on a 365 project, one of the things that I noticed people doing is they would put in um, the, net, the, the day, so we're in the 81st day of 2011, 365, 2011, and then I'll usually do um, a little short two or three word title, so I'll say rainbow candle, and then I have mine set to auto post to Flickr. And so in Flickr, a lot of times people will use things called hashtags, and that's how a lot of people are tracking things that are happening in Libya right now, that happened in Egypt, in Tunisia, uh, the Middle East. We've had these um, revolutions and we have this ongoing war that we're spending like, what, $100 million a month, I think. They said that the, B, the, B, the B2 bombers that went to Libya, I think that one mission, which was a 35-hour mission that flew from Missouri, um, I think it cost, was it $80 million or $100 million? Um, anyway, interesting that we're doing that amidst all of our budget uh, scenarios. People are tracking things that are happening using hashtags. So this isn't about Libya. This is about photography. But people who are interested in taking pictures with iPhones are using that hashtag called iPhoneography. 365 Project people, not everybody, but some, are using that hashtag 365 photos, and I'll show you in a minute how that works um, with Twitter. The other thing that I change on here is I'll go ahead and um, let people answer and send to Twitter. So if I go ahead and click post on this, and I'm connected to the internet, this image will immediately go up to the web, and it will show up on my 365 blog here um, to be able to publish it. So that's your app share today, and I really think uh, applications like Tumblr and Posturus are great because it can really streamline the process, making it a lot easier and faster for people to be able to uh, publish media and content. Something that you can think about doing for your classroom is having a photo a day um, 
site, right? You could have a student who rotates and takes a picture, not of other students necessarily because of privacy concerns and things like that, but of something they're doing in class, a lesson that they're doing, something that represents, um, you know, things that, that they're learning. I'm working on a book right now that I'm going to have finished by this summer called Talk With Media, and the website's just talkwithmedia.com. There's lots of different ways we can talk with media, using images, audio, video, um, on the image section. Uh, there's some stuff about copyright, which we're going to discuss today uh, in class a, a little bit, and then you know different kinds of applications and places that you can share pictures. Um, I've got a link here to some of my favorite photo editing apps for um, iPhone and for iPad. There's Color Splash. Um, FX Studio is a fun one. That's um, how I've done a lot of different vignette effects and other things. Tune Camera is a pretty fun one. It, let, it uh, changes your um, photograph into more of a cartoon look. And so I think this bottom one that we did with Alexander showing his, you can kind of see it made, it's more like kind of a painting. Um, there's different effects that you, can, that you can do there. But anyway, lots of different uh, possibilities for things you can do photography-wise. Does anybody use an application to edit um, images or, or publish in images like Instagram or is anybody using anything like that? This one? Yeah. And it's got like, yeah, it says 180. It has a ton of filters. Camera Plus. Okay. I don't know if I've tried that one. Um, Instagram has a community where there's lots of people who are sharing their uh, photos and um, you know, commenting on them and things like that. And that, that's a neat thing about photography, right, is it transcends language. So you could have folks who are in Germany or in South Africa, South Africa speaks English, but, um, you know, different countries, and then you would be able to have them, you know, sharing what they're doing and understanding. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. 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 Well, I mean, I played with them before. I've used tons of them and everything here. Okay. So, because we're concerned about if if, it, if what you want to do will work here with us. So okay. Try it out. Okay. Today. Sure. Then she has one for you. Okay. That'll be great. Okay. Thank you. All right, so I could actually probably talk about that all day long, but I won't. Um, so your app share is Tumblr, and there's a couple other links if you wanna if you wanna check check that out. Next week we are on to do our flip video scavenger hunt, and that was uh, Dr. Wakefield telling me to uh, I had asked for a checkout. I think they've got 15 flip cameras, and so we may have a couple Petchakuchas. Hopefully we'll get those done today, um, but as soon as we get whatever remains done next next week, we're gonna spend the bulk of the time. Uh, doing our flip video scavenger hunt. So, all right, let's watch a video. Um, on your links for today, if you have not already, make sure you click on our 11 o'clock and check in with your name for today's attendance. On your link, you will also find on the for today, you'll also find a link that says copyright and Creative Commons. And I'm going to share with you one video uh, right now that's going to basically give some background to copyright. Before we even 
talk about this as a class, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to talk with your neighbor. And what I want you to talk about is this. If you're giving advice right now to a student based on what you know about copyright, what is the advice you give them about pictures and music and video that they can use in their projects? What advice do you give to your students basically on copyright when it comes to using media in their projects? All right, talk to your neighbor about that. something that you shared or your neighbor shared that you would give as advice? Oh, okay. Use your own pictures, right? Because you have the copyright. Good. That's, a good, that's good advice. What else? Make sure the author has given permission. Okay. Permission. Is permission granted? Do we always have to have permission to use a copyright work? As long as it's fair use. Mm, well, we have a conversation about fair use. If we have permission from the author, we know we're good. But if we don't, then we got to think about fair use. Okay, what else? What is fair use? Can we do anything we want with anything we want? Okay. So I couldn't do something like a Saturday Night Live parody and make fun of the president. Could I do that? How do they get away with that on late night TV and Jay Leno and all that? It's protected. Yeah, it's part it's part of copyright. So all those questions are important. This is a very important issue. It's something there's tons of confusion about. If you go out right now and ask three teachers to answer that same question, you're probably going to get three different answers. One of the problems is we've got a lot of fear today about what copyright and fair use is. And so in a lot of schools, we have teachers, librarians, principals saying things like, well, just don't use it. You, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that, so we're just not going to do any of that. And we actually have a lot of freedom under fair use, but here are the guidelines I'm going to share with you, and we're going to talk today just real briefly about what copyright is, and then we probably, you know, we'll see what we have time for, but we didn't have time for the other videos uh, during class today. Um, who said use your own stuff? <laughs> That's right. 
Homegrown is another way of saying that, right? It's great advice. If you've got a box of pictures and you've taken them, there are limits to what you can do. I can't take a close-up photo of you and go do a national ad campaign. I mean, hopefully not without your permission. Um, but if I'm in a public place and I'm taking you know, pictures in the park, um, I'm, I'm taking photos of my dog, you know, there's a lot of things that I can take photographs of and I can, I can use those images. Public domain is stuff like NASA's pictures. All of NASA's images are in the public domain. Mark Twain's works, they're passed out of copyright because he did them so long ago. So we could do anything we want with Twain's works. You could create an anthology right now of Mark Twain and you could sell it because it's in the public domain. So anytime things are in the public domain, we have got free reign to basically do whatever we want with them. Um, Creative Commons is something that we're gonna, we've already talked some about. And did I, did I show the Creative Commons video? The what is, okay, good, cool. So we've already seen that one. That's giving permission up front to use the media. And that really is the easier, you know, second step to go to. The last thing we would do is fair use. And hopefully, if not today, I'll do this one next week. The fair use Disney video, this is awesome. It's a two minute, oh, did I do it already? Okay, well, hallelujah. I've, we've covered more of these bases than, than I remembered. Um, you know, that explains when you critique, when you comment, when you add something transformative to a work, that is considered to be fair use. Now, it doesn't mean someone can't threaten to sue you, uh, but overall, there's a lot more fear today when it comes to media use than there should be in school. And so, um, copyright's an important thing to talk about. I don't, have, have I shown you the, the What's Copyright video? Okay, I don't, think, I don't think you've seen this one. So this is from the Media Education Lab at Temple University. I'll open up their YouTube channel. You can see they've got 91 videos on their channel. They are promoting media literacy, but a lot of what they're trying to also do is promote um, copyright understanding. You know, copyright confusion is something that they did a whole study on. And so they are trying to showcase examples of how teachers in different places are using copyrighted works but they're doing it legally. So this was a video they created mainly for students to try and explain what copyright is. And they're going to talk about the purpose of copyright is to promote creativity. It's not just about the rights of the owners. It's about balancing the rights of users, of people with the owners to promote creativity. And that's not really the message we often get in the media. So let's take a look at this video.
I'm an enemy, not a devil. Copyrights for me. Let me tell you how it's gonna be. I'm the one who knows. Look at all the things I own and all the copyrights I hold, all under my control. All when you want, then I'll tell you. I told you so. Copyrights for the folks who own. All the folks is the only right for copyright. All the Hopefully, 
you know, some of these resources in those top three videos, we've already seen, I think, the, sec the second and third. Is that right? We, we saw the Creative Commons one as well as the Fair Use So Great. Um, I think those are three of the best resources to try and help understand um, these, these issues. Um, and that's probably all we'll have time to say about that now because we could go on for a little bit longer. But does anybody have a thought or a question um, related to copyright that you'd like to pose? Mm-hmm. K-State, actually. but K-State, sorry. Right. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so it, they had that for about a year, and then all of a sudden they changed it. Uh-huh. And I guess they were in the process of being sued. Yeah. Because uh, they didn't think that, I mean, we're from Bethel Acres in America, like, so small, like, I guess they just couldn't even think Yeah. Uh, it especially when it comes to trademarks and things like that. Um, one of the high schools that has licensed the PowerCat from K-State is Clovis, New Mexico, and I only know that because when we lived in Texas, we would drive through Clovis, and I had this big PowerCat on the back of my uh, our pop-up trailer, and so people would be like, yeah, go Clovis, and we're like, well, this isn't for Clovis. But they, they have paid, um, and it may have been that they got permission Sometimes it's the distance from the school and they figure you get, you know. Yeah. Really? Okay. I mean, I know it was legit. I, I didn't know whether they paid or whether it was just that they gave, you know, they said you can use it for free. And maybe that was a, a distance thing. But, yeah, definitely when it comes to any kind of, um, I don't know why that site's not coming up. When it comes to any kind of logo or something like that, um, you know, the... The use of things in, a, in class and for an educational purpose is very different than doing something commercially. Um, you know, and when it comes to trademark logos and stuff like that, yeah. That's, so, but what school was that? Was it? Bethel Acres. Bethel Acres. Okay. Cool. Well, I had to write that down. Huh. Well, um... You know, there are all kinds of examples of this being violated. My uh, son is going to class in SAS, and this probably happens at schools all over the place at the end of the semester. What happens? Let's just bring DVDs and watch them for fun. You know, that is not fair use. Technically speaking, that is not, you know, complying with copyright, and I'm sure I'd be, like, a really unpopular parent if I raised that flag to say, hey, could we actually comply with the law here and teach kids about intellectual property? Maybe, you know, I haven't done that, but... What, where it also crosses the line is where you have PTAs that will do fundraisers. And so we actually had this happen at our elementary in, in Lubbock, Texas, where, well, we're going to watch, you know, um, what's the Disney Under the Sea? Um, the yeah, there's Finding Nemo, but what's the, the Little Mermaid? We're going to watch The Little Mermaid. Everyone bring $5 and we'll have popcorn and it'll be a fundraiser for PTA. Uh, bad idea, you know, because... When that copyright thing comes on and says this is for private, you know, screening and use, uh, just because you're in a school, it doesn't protect us to do whatever it is that we want. So, you know, did Disney sue our school district? No, they didn't. You know, was that a good modeling of intellectual property respect for the school? No, um, it was was not good. Um, but 
you know, these things do happen. And they collected money, exactly. This is why it was very clearly an overstep of the bounds. It wasn't just, hey, it's the last day of class, guys, let's watch Harry Potter. This was, we're going to make money and not give any to Disney. What about <coughs> if you showed the movie but didn't pay for entity but sold popcorn and candy? Mm-hmm. Illegal. It's still illegal. Yeah, you have to you have to pay a licensing fee to have a to, to commercially share something like that in an audience. Um, <coughs> when we're doing something educationally, and that's what the fair use video got into a little bit. The portion, you know, amounts. Whenever you break something up and you're doing it in pieces, you know, that's going to lend itself more to fair use. Probably most teachers for anything they're going to do in class, and they're going to say, "We're studying World War II, so let's watch Saving Private Ryan." which may have some scenes in it that you want to be careful about. But um, you're probably not going to get in trouble for doing that. But Disney stuff is definitely scrutinized more. And anytime it's being done for an entertainment purpose or a reward purpose instead of an educational purpose, it, it doesn't you know, pass fair use. However, it's done all the time. And again, I mean, like, here I am. I'm a parent at the school. I'm here at UCO teaching about intellectual property. I probably ought to say something, but that's not going to necessarily make me the most popular person. So will I say something about it? I don't know. Maybe I'm going to feel convicted after giving our lesson today to say, you know, maybe we ought to say something, but I, I haven't. I thought that Disney, they sued some school district for showing a video or something, and that's when they changed their agreement or something on every videotape, and it was that um, as long as it's for an educational purpose, they can do it. Well, if Disney's changed the the terms on their video stuff, that would just be really an acknowledgement of what fair use is, because already fair use says those four things. When you are critiquing, you know, when you're doing it non-commercially, you're doing it for an educational purpose. And there's one other one. Um, so they, they could have done that, but, you know, there's a difference in saying, let's study um, the Little Mermaid and examine the use of um, sexually referent art um, and I don't know if you've ever dated a feminist or been a feminist. I happened to date a feminist when I was in uh, college who, anyway, was all into this. And it's pretty interesting to see, you know, I don't know whether you buy that or not, that there are, that, that this was explicitly done, you know, by their artists. But if we were going to critique that, for example, and we were going to, you know, show that and evaluate, show part of it and evaluate it, that's real different than saying, kids, you guys did so good on your AR reading, we're all going to watch The Little Mermaid today. I mean, that's, that's not, yeah, it's a reward for an educational purpose, but it's, it's not to evaluate and critique and, and learn from the media. It's to use that as a, as a reward. Did you always say, like, most of the ones when you say, oh, we read the book now, so let's watch the movie and compare them? Yeah, and, 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 basic, and the whole fear thing is, you know, if you want to use media to help kids learn, you're probably going to be fine. Okay, it's when you're going to do something for a strict entertainment purpose, or you are, um, you know, using it for a reward that it crosses the line, and you know, and you you're going to have to weigh the benefits of whether you step out. This is like being a whistleblower, right? It, if you're a whistleblower on something that has consequences, being a first year teacher, you may not want to be the one to stand up and say, "Hey, I don't think our you know fundraiser here." I'm, you're going to have to weigh and decide what what is it that you're going to do. Maybe you will, maybe you could talk privately with the principal about mm-hmm. something and have your concern. Yeah, contact the R. Yeah, contact Disney. Uh, in, you know, privately and secretly and let them know. I don't think Disney started going around like suing 
There is a lot of uh, knowledge that people have about some lawsuits because, I mean, you can't take the Mickey Mouse and go put it on your shirt and sell it, you know, at school. And just like you're saying the example of the power cat, you know, it, it's all about what they're going to defend. And Disney defends their trademarks and evidently K-State, you know, does as well. Um, but, you know, just, <coughs> I don't know. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles thing, that, that would be a good case study to look at too, right? You know, how many schools use the Philadelphia Eagles logo and have any of them, you know, contacted and gotten agreement from them? That, that'd be a really interesting study that, you know, somebody could do for a research project. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you could contact the school in the sports department and probably, you know, find out. And, and you know, interesting. The 49ers and the Giants sued Santa Fe here in Edmond because the football team's original uh, emblem on the side of the helmet was too close, even though it's different colors, and um, the baseball team's hats uh, were too closely resembled. Really? So that was the 49ers, and what was the other team? Um, the Giants, both in San Francisco. Yeah, and so, which which, which which schools were using their logos? Huh? Which, which... Um, wow. Yeah. So, if you're involved in sports, I mean, when, where does this intersect with your life? We're going to be teachers. We're going to be sharing stuff with students. But maybe you're involved in athletics, right? Maybe your school is going to be getting a logo. I mean, the last thing most administrators want is a lawsuit, <laughs> right? And so, that does get their attention. And it, so, it's important to know about this. We have an obligation because it's in our standards and it's in our curriculum to help students become educated about fair use and, and creativity. The logo thing is something that can impact the whole school. The student creating the media is something that can you know, impact them individually. And the biggest thing, I hope that you'll get an idea of this, is let's empower kids to create stuff appropriately. Let's not just tell everybody, we're so scared, we're not making anything, you know. Because if that's how we're acting, are we getting ready for the 21st century? We've been in the 21st century 11 years. Why aren't we acting like it in most of our schools? Well, fear is a big reason for that. So I'm not going to show you this video, but this cost of copyright confusion is a really good one um, that you know gives examples of teachers using copyright, uh, students using copyrighted works, and then how they can... Um, how they can do that legally. So, Okay. We could do this longer. Austin's managed to step out to get a drink, hopefully. Um, we're going to go ahead and shift over to our Petra Kucha stuff. And so, if you will, on your handout for today, your um, electronic portal for our class, go to our Petra Kucha presentations and click 11 a.m. And Austin is going to actually go first and he's not on there, okay? So I will add him really quick. Anybody else ready to go? Well, I'm sure we got a lot of people ready to go. Who would like to, who? I'll put Austin at the bottom, and so he'll show up the next time you load the form. You go? Okay. All right. 
and I've actually talked way longer than I should have, so I apologize. It's part of the hazard of being a teacher. Yeah, I don't know why this sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Presentation one? Yeah. All right. And your first name is? All right, Chris is going to talk to us about steroids. <laughs> it was amazing how many tour guides in California all referenced the, what do they call it? Muscle uh, Beach. The, go, the Gobernator or Gobernator?
And uh, Barry Bonds isn't the only one to get caught using steroids. Um, right here, you got a picture of Mark Maguire and Alex Rodriguez next to Barry, and uh, they're all record breakers as well. And uh, it really just kind of like the picture says, a steroid league of their own. And it kind of just makes us question whether that we can really view their accomplishments as the same as others just because of the way they went about accomplishing theirs. And uh, today we have realized that there are many harmful effects that steroids have on our bodies. Um, even though we know these effects, people still are choosing to use them in the hunt for their perfect body. And I kind of feel like it goes along with just today's society and the instant gratification <coughs> that we receive and things. And then uh, there's a lot of potential negative side effects that differ between men and women. Uh, for men, you have headaches, baldness, reduced sperm count, shrinking of the testicles, and large prostate and development of breasts. And then as uh, so problems with women, you have reduced breast size, enlarged clitoris, increase in facial and body hair, deepened voice, and their menstrual problems. And then negative effects affect both the sexes. You have uh, increase in acne all over the body, liver damage, high blood pressure, and heart disease, strokes, and blood clots, and then mood swings. I found this picture just of a girl that supposedly used steroids and said steroids not worth it, and you see her eyes and facial hair and stuff like that. <laughs> And not all steroids are harmful. Um, this right here is an uh, example of a legal steroid. Um, most of the, the difference between legal and legal steroids, uh, legal steroids most times you can buy over the counter and are, inject are ingestible rather than injectable. And you really can't get these in this country. Uh, you really gotta go to like Canada who does it and then other countries do it. And then uh, there are uh, many medical uses for steroids. Um, steroids can uh, speed up the process of healing by reducing inflammation around the injured area. And then you see a lot of professional athletes do this once they're injured, they'll uh, take injections of steroids around the injured area to uh, increase the, uh, increase recovery time. And uh, then there's a lot of medical ben uh, beneficial medical uses for the elderly people. Uh, steroids can help with uh, the pain with their arthritis. They actually uh, help slow the onset of Alzheimer's. And uh, once diagnosed with uh, muscle deteriorating diseases, it can actually help rebuild the muscle. And then, uh, anytime you take steroids, you need to consult the doctor. I mean, yes, you, uh, it is possible to get steroids from doctors, and uh, if you do go that way, um, you, they uh, know exactly what kind of steroids to give you, the amount of steroids to give you for the purpose that you're uh, taking them. And uh, if you really want the best use, even like bodybuilders will use doctors to uh, monitor how much steroids they're taking. And then, uh, uh, steroids cannot place the, uh, replace the need for proper weight training and nutrition. Um, having a proper weight re uh, weight training regimen will increase uh, your size and strength. Um, and even if you don't have a proper workout regimen after you take steroids, the desired effects you have will just pretty much simply go away. And then there are no uh, supplements more beneficial than the natural foods like fruits, vegetables, and meat uh, that you get the vitamins, minerals, and proteins that your body needs for weightlifting. And a uh, fun fact that I found is that diets can contribute to actually 80% of your success or failure in weight training. So it's pretty important. And then there are other supplements that you can take during weight training to kind of get some of the same desired effects as a steroid. Protein is a perfect one. Um, it's a post-workout. You take it uh, when you take it, it uh, helps your muscles recover, and it also helps put on uh, size. So, not necessarily the steroids is the only way to do that. That's it. So, do you recommend these supplements at this point, or do you use them yourself? I mean, yeah, I. Uh,
when I was 12. It was almost 10 years now. And so some of the pictures have been scanned in because we didn't take a digital camera with us. I guess they really weren't that big of a deal back then. But my grandma is originally from Czechoslovakia and <coughs> that's we ended up, she had to be relocated to Germany. And so that's where we went. This is a hotel in Chernow, Germany. And my grandma's friend actually owns this. And they have an amazing pizza place inside of it. It's real Italian people. It is ridiculous. It's the best pizza I've ever had. But Charnow is a very, very small town, maybe 5,000 people at the most. And this is how their buildings are built, where they're upwards instead of out, where our homes are, you know, usually long. They build up, and this is the traditional German style for building. I guess it's to save room. And my aunt's house was built exactly like this. I don't know why I don't have pictures of it, but I don't. This is my Oma, and I actually got to meet her for the first time. I'm the, my dad and my uncle are the only other people in my family that have met her. And she just died probably a year after we went. She was uh, 99 years old. Anyway, she was like four foot three, very, very small. This is a view from Bauman's Hall, which is where my uncle lives. And my Oma, the house that her and then my aunt and my grandma all grew up in is actually right behind where this picture was taken. And the lot that it sits on <coughs> is right behind where my uncle lives, but he won't buy it because it's about $1.5 million just for the lot that the house is on. This is the Heidelberg Bridge, and I was blown away once I had set foot on it. Right in here is where they've restored um, apartments. They, put, they call them artistic apartments. I can't imagine what those cost to live in. This is the Church of the Holy Ghost. 
which is a very, very old church. <coughs> it was actually there before everything around Heidelberg was built. Uh, was built, and so this is right in the center of Heidelberg. All the houses around it and all of the businesses around it were just built. And this is Heidelberg Castle. We actually spent, we went two or three different days while we were there. And it has been hit and caught on fire actually three or four different times throughout history. It looks like different pieces of the puzzle just stuck together because it was. They had to rebuild and keep keep it in working order. This is a giant barrel of wine. It's the largest barrel of wine in the world. Can you find more? <laughs> and it was built in 1775, and they built it to house the wine that was paid as taxes by the winemakers. And he just, like, the king kept collecting all of the wine, supposedly, in that barrel. This is me, long time ago, <laughs> in front of the Heidelberg Castle. That's in the courtyard where probably the biggest water fountain I have ever seen. Just, it was amazing. Lots of people. Very, very overwhelming. This is the Bergbahn, which takes you straight up and inclined to the top of the castle. There's actually a little town up there. <coughs> and that is, you can either walk or ride that, but I would I'd ride that because you're walking almost at a straight incline. Then, Bergbahn just means mountain railway. This is a view from the town on top of the castle. Let's turn it. Pronounce that. Let's see how all that works. Um, hold on. Oh, it's called. I can't remember even what it's called. Let's find it. But we were up there. This is the castle burning they do every summer three times a year, and it's to commemorate the times that the castle caught on fire throughout the wars with the French and. I don't know how they make it look like this, but they do it in twice in June, July, and then in, <coughs> I guess, September. This is called um, Dealsburg, and this is where my grandma's best friend lives. There's a fortress actually around the entire town because it was in order to protect the town from it being bombed by ships on the river. And my grandma. She tried to explain it to me, but you really can't until you're there. You have to drive through this huge gate to even get into this town because it's protected by a fortress. This is a bunch of crazy Germans at the restaurant. It's one of the nicest restaurants in Germany. The um, president of Germany actually has eaten there and very high class, and they're all doing a conga line around the whole restaurant. <laughs> it's for my aunt's birthday. This is in Neckergemund, which is where my cousin Otto lives. And it is a very small town as well. The streets <coughs> are very, very narrow. It's crazy to imagine trying to drive a car down there. Actually, this is at his house where we're eating. My aunt, my uncle, my grandma, and then Oto. And from his house, you can see a castle from his backyard. It's a very small castle, but there are four in Neckergemund, and you can see one from his backyard. So. It was really amazing to actually get to see that. Once again, not sure why we don't have pictures. This was Operation G-Force at Holiday Park in Hasselhoff, Germany. And it was the, at the time when we were there in 2002, it was the biggest um, roller coaster in all of Europe. I did not get on it. I refused. <laughs> My aunt actually wrote it, but I was too scared. 
this is their version of a mall in Heidelberg, and it will blow you away because <laughs> it is nothing like our mall. Most of their shopping is done in little plazas and shopping centers instead of inside of a giant mall area, but there was a toy store <laughs> that will just blow your mind and a candy store that was just tons and tons and tons of chocolate. This picture is crazy. Frog crossing is what that means. And it's right before you get to Sure now. My grandma insisted I take a picture with this sign. And the reason is because my grandpa actually 25 years ago took a picture next to the exact same sign. And anyways, it just, she thought that was amazing. But at times, thousands and thousands of frogs will cross that and stop traffic. So, frog crossing. Yeah.
It was actually used for both uh, Protestants and Catholics, but now it's just strictly Catholic. But it was just really neat because my grandma actually went in and took communion, and which I'm not—I wasn't raised Catholic, so I didn't anything like that. But she went in and confessed her sins. So she just—I don't know—it was really neat that she could go do that there in the middle of Heidelberg. So it was really. Uh, yeah, just real quick. Um, I decided to go about things a little bit differently, um, seeing as how the goal of the, the PK presentation is so you don't get lost in here, like the whole time you're, you're doing your presentation. And so I actually decided that, you know, I'm just going to try to use the images as somewhat of a, I guess you would call it a visual um, exciting, if you would. I don't know. Um, and just make an attempt to go up and speak passionately about the topic and see how it goes without spending too much time into actually laying out the presentation. So this could go absolutely wonderful and it could be something new and it could be something um, good to start using because it kind of forces you to stay to stay on topic and keep going. So um, it might turn out to be a useful thing or it could go terrible. So wish me luck. Yeah, and also like um, I uh, also had to use my Dropbox to... Uh, pull up a couple of things on my note cards just so you guys don't think I'm up here texting while I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, could you hang on a second? Any topic you Yeah, it's going to be uh, sort of what music, what, what it means to be a musician now and, and it's how important it still is, I suppose. Um, if you'll give me just one second, I'll pull up my notes here. Okay. So, if you would. So yes, as you can see, it's over music's importance and profitability, and yes, contrary to what you hear in the news, that you can still get both of those things out of music. I know there's been a lot of things saying that, you know, you can't make any music, uh, make any money in the music industry anymore, and that, you know, all the arts are getting cut. It's still there, and it's still profitable, and it's still very important. Um, a lot of, a lot of changes have been put into place recently. Uh, there was a lull sort of there for a while where um, that profitability started to go down. And so people sort of, and I think those, the, the loss in the arts sort of went hand in hand with that. And so once those were recognized, they've started to come up over the past few years and it's making a strong comeback. And uh, it's really being almost brought to the forefront to where it's not only thought of as something as uh, extracurricular, but something that should be in the core curriculum uh, of the class uh, of the classroom. I wanted to pull up a couple of facts for you here, um, because I'm not sure if anybody's heard, but music education itself benefits the students so much in so many ways beyond just music itself. 
it uh, obviously benefits uh, benefits their math and science scores, benefits reading scores. Um, so I have a stat that uh, students actually that take music appreciation on average score higher on their SATs, and that's just from one music class alone. Um, and as I stated, uh, some studies have shown that the areas of the brain that are for reading uh, are shown to grow quite a bit more as well. And um, the fact that it's that it's accessible to so many students and that it allows them to be a part of something so much greater, as you can see, this has got to feel really good to somebody at that age to be a part of something so big and you know to be recognized for that. So to be doing that at the same time, uh, in the process of doing something that's going to help them learn, um, I think it's really beneficial. And this is actually supposed to be an interpretation, I guess, of like the steps of music. I don't know. I wanted something musical and sailing, so this is what it is. And this is sort of where it can take them from those those great benefits that they get at the, the K-12 level into deciding to be a, a music major at the college level. And um, it's shown lately that um, music is actually more beneficial than computers. At, at increasing increasing learning, and this is sort of an example of integrating the two together, and it's a recent ensemble that I put together here at the school. So when you put the two together now, um, I think you get a sort of synergistic effect. Obviously at the collegiate level, um, people expect people to end up doing like this, this is Carnegie Hall in New York, obviously a desired location to perform. Um, that is one of the goals. Obviously there's not a space up there for everyone, and that would lead um, many parents, many friends, many family to think that music's not going to be profitable if they're not going to be doing this. Which is also, remarkably, uh, you'd be surprised how many popular musicians come out of a collegiate music school as well. People you would not uh, not expect, rap stars even, because they have music degrees. So um, there are other options other than just performing. Um, the concert industry alone, while we're talking about it, though, put put out about, let's see, that's, this was from 2007, but put out about $36 billion um, for the country. Uh, I believe it was, yes, two, 2007, $36 billion. And the arts jobs alone produce, sorry, iPhone lost, produce about $37 billion outside of the concert industry. So, Altogether, it, produ <laughs> it produces uh, quite a bit of revenue. So you can see it's still profitable um, in and of itself without having to actually sell the tracks. Now, when you get to actually the tracks that, that people are producing, obviously people still want to make money off their songs. And that's sort of where the loss was that, that music's not profitable anymore. Um, as you can see here, I'm sure you've all heard of Pandora, Groove Shark, anything like that. More than likely, you've heard of it. This is showing that, this is from a couple of years ago, how many royalties they pay out, over 100 million. Uh, that was in 2007. Since then, I think they've doubled that. Um, and it's only increasing. And then, of course, we've got our friends iTunes here, which has almost sort of made it cool to download music again because it's made it so incredibly simple. Um, so a lot of companies are working together to bring music to the forefront. Um, here in the studio is another aspect um, where musicians can find find a home uh, helping other musicians. Uh, this is sort of what I do. I spend a lot of time in the studio, um, like helping helping to record things and, and working on my own songs. Um, and any major studio you go to, is they're going to want you to have a music degree. So it's that from from a music degree, there is a lot of different directions you can go. This is Segerstrom Hall in L.A. And obviously, 
it brought forth a lot of jobs to do this, and a lot of tickets are sold at a very um, up there price to get to get in there. And so, and all of that goes back to the performance. Another option, which I'm getting into lately, for uh, musicians is to get into the sound design um, for for music and films. They should. Um, I wouldn't say they get paid as much as the actors, but uh, they definitely make a, a decent uh, amount doing that. It's, it's definitely a, a quite prestigious position to do that. Um, another option, as, as they continue, <laughs> is um, if you didn't want to go on the larger corporate scheme of things and you wanted to stay on the smaller level, the, the realm of private lessons will allow you, if say you're in a, a decent-sized town like Dallas, New York, anything like that, you can bring in about 30 to 40k a year just doing private lessons. Um, and then, real quickly before I go, I wanted to talk about the importance of music educators. Not only can you major in music performance in college, but you can major in music education. Um, those jobs are actually what seem to be needed the most. Um, the, uh, apparently, I'm not going to have that. <laughs> But mainly what I want to leave you with is that it's important for the music educators and it's important for the performers to be present because without anyone to perform it, the music is only going to be on the page and it's never going to go anywhere. It doesn't matter if there's thousands of pages of music because no one can get it out there. So I hope I did okay and thank you.
it is very much dependent on how they, they manage their tour. Um, they, I think it could really go either way.
And so right now you wouldn't notice, but in elementary and junior high, it was really noticeable. Alopecia can affect everyone, including animals, cats, dogs, even monkeys. I found pictures of them online. Uh, typically, the onset is during childhood, but it can occur during adulthood. It's just not as typical. Alopecia doesn't discriminate. It can happen to anyone. And you're probably wondering what causes alopecia. Alopecia is white blood cells attacking the hair follicle cells. They see, the white blood cells see the hair follicle cells as a threat, and so they attack them. Some contributing factors could be genetic, stress, and pathogens. There are different types of alopecia. Um, in this instance, it's contained to just one spot, which is how mine began, and then it sort of spread throughout the rest of the head. Um, and the baldness can shrink or expand, and um, when it comes back in, sometimes it's a different color, a different texture. Um, this is baldness in multiple spots, which can occur also. Um, as you can see, there's baldness just kind of sporadically, and in addition to that, it can fall out anywhere on the body in just random patches, including eyebrows and eyelashes. This is an instance of total body hair loss. It's the most severe type of alopecia, and these individuals are often mistaken for cancer patients. They have no hair anywhere on the body, no eyelashes, no eyebrows. Women often use false lashes just to, you know, fit in a little bit more. There are treatments available. Um, steroids are the most commonly used thing, and which I thought that was kind of funny because the first presentation, it causes baldness, but I guess it's a different type. But it can come in a pill, a topical, and they can inject it directly into the scalp. Um, I never agreed to that. Of course, we all know there are side effects to steroids. Um, liver damage, elevated blood pressure, increased risk of cardiovascular disease, mood disorders, depression, suicide. So you can see why some individuals would choose not to use steroids because Alopecia isn't a life-threatening condition, but sometimes these steroids can be. Um, for the individuals who opt for no treatment, there are self-esteem issues um, that they have to overcome. Because society views outward beauty at such a high level, sometimes that's a difficult challenge to overcome. Um, the most difficult aspect of alopecia isn't health. It's not even loss of hair. It's the loss of self-esteem. To not have something basic like hair is devastating, confusing, and embarrassing. And personally, it's difficult to complain about having a bad hair day when, you know, you've been through not having hair before. Um, women tend to think of alopecia. And each individual reacts differently to alopecia. Men um, tend to react differently than women as well. They kind of attach the notion of hair to masculinity, leadership, and health. Um, something that I didn't really think about, that men would attach it to health. Women tend to think of alopecia as something that strips away femininity. They tend to wear scarves and hats, whereas men, more often than not, seem to embrace it, and they'll just shave whatever's left off. And women can't, don't normally do that, because it's not as accepted to see a bald woman. Um, children tend to develop self-esteem issues earlier than normal. Normally, you would develop those self-esteem issues later on during adolescence, 
But if you have a hair-like condition, often you'll develop that earlier because you're more self-conscious and you're different than your peers. And in, in addition to the way that individuals affected react, the public rea has a different reaction as well. Um, often people stare and make comments and, and um, assume that you have cancer. But an important thing to remember is that nobody wants to be different or to be treated differently just because of something like that. But thankfully there are support groups. Um, the National Alopecia Areata Foundation offers different resources and connections. They have conferences. Um, and they also have literature and DVDs for your children to help them understand what's going on. There's different ways that you can help with alopecia. The most commonly known way is locks of love. Um, most people don't know that locks of love is actually originally created for kids with alopecia. Um, they create hair pieces for financially disadvantaged children suffering from long-term hair loss. Um, six to ten ponytails are needed for each hair piece. And then the piece is fitted to the child's head and they can reapply after 18 months for a new hair piece when they you know, grow. And it takes about four, and six, four to six months to receive a hair piece. So if you plan on getting your hair cut this summer, like I know a lot of women do, um, consider donating it. Ten inches is the minimum length and you often get a discount or a free haircut if you say that you're going to donate. They'll send you a certificate and um, it has no value except for that you know you helped someone gain back their self-confidence. So overall I just wanted to uh, speak with you today about alopecia because I think it's a condition that a lot of people don't know about and public awareness is such a good thing. And also um, about Ox's Love, if you plan on donating, that um, is a really great thing to do. So thank you.
This is the Arcadia Round Barn. It's located on Route 66. It was built in 1898, and it originally served as a home for the livestock. The 60-diameter roof collapsed in 1988, and the cost to repair was $165,000. This is the Spiral Mound Group, and it, uh, it has the Great Mortuary. This is the Hollow Chamber, and it began as a burial structure for the Spiral Rollers. It also has the Craig Mound, and it's known as the American King Cut Tomb. This is the Perryman Ranch. It's in East Duke in Jackson County. It first served as a home to Alonzo Perryman and his family, starting in July 1888. It's located the location of an it's in the location of an original dry lake rock past the gallery. This is Marlin's mansion. It was designed by John Duncan Forces. It has 55 rooms. 10 bedrooms, 12 bathrooms, 7 fireplaces, and 3 kitchens. It takes 861 light bulbs to light the mansion. It was built in 1925 in Panaka City. This is John Frank's house. It was built in Sepulpa in 1955, and it was designed by Bruce Falk, and it was designed to showcase, showcase John Frank's pottery work. And throughout the house, John and uh, his wife Grace, they glazed and fired the ceramic tiles that are inside. This is Eugene Davinger's house. This is in Norman, Oklahoma. It was completed in 1955. It's also designed by Bruce Goff, and this is the best known building designed by him. Um, the building was awarded the 25-year award for being the signature building of a master architect. This is Dr. Erwin D. Lewis's log cabin. It's located in Tahlequah in the Cherokee County. It was listed November 17, 1978, and uh, it's, eligible, it's eligible for the National Register of Historic Places. This is the Morel home. It's in Tahlequah, and George Morel established a plantation, and he calls his house the Hunter's Home because of his fondness for the fox hunt. He built a large frame home because it reminded him of the houses in Virginia. The Portsville Infantry Barracks. They were established in 1934, opened in 1935. On the location are three museums the Field Artillery Museum, the Air Defense Artillery Museum, and the Portsville National Historic Landmark Museum. It occupies 27 buildings. And this is Jesse Chesson's grave site. Uh, he died on March 4, 1868, after eating bear meat cooked in a copper kettle. He was buried near his old friend. His friend was called Left Hand. And on, inscribed on his grave was, No one left his home cold or hungry. This is Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, and it was completed in 1919, and it's located in Payton. And today is the fellowship hall. The church uses it as a fellowship hall. And that's all I have.
it would just sporadically burn everywhere. So um, there wasn't a whole lot we could do about it because, like I said, since we're on wall water, there was no way to fight it after a little while. And um, this is some more. This is um, where we had firewood stacked up and stuff. But what happened is a lot of the ice storms left branches in the trees. So even when the trees were falling from the fire, we had more wood coming down on top. So it would just renew the fire over and over and over again. So um, they burned until we had major fires until 4 o'clock in the morning that we were still out there trying to put out. And um, it was just really devastating to the community. These are just the tire tracks. You can see it, they weren't really major fires like you would think. They weren't forest fires. It was grass fires, which made it worse. But you can see how it went underneath the cedar trees. Um, this one was really hard for me because I asked a firefighter, it's a burrow in the ground. I asked him why that was there, and he says when small animals like squirrels realize they're going to die, they burrow down into the ground to try to survive as long as they can. So um, that actually made me cry. <laughs> um, we had three baby deer out there, too. That's a picture of a fire that started from a cigarette butt. Um, this one they suspect was arson, but there was a lot of them started by cigarette butts. And two years ago, 58 Choctaw homes burned from a cigarette butt being thrown out the window. So over spring break, a lot of people were complaining about not being able to camp, and I know somebody got a ticket over in Murdoch for it. But you guys just have to think about that, because your cigarette butt is our home demand. <laughs> and um, the firefighters did really great. We have a volunteer fire department. So it's amazing that they were able to respond as well as they did because they ended up saving 18 homes in our neighborhood alone. So I'm just really grateful for them. And I forgot to put my sources on, but um, most of my information was from KFOR, um, the Daily Oklahoma, and then the Herifier Department helped me out a lot.
one of the things your presentation made me think of is a CNN I reporter uh, website. I don't know if you've heard about this, but you know, when we have clear storms and things, you always hear about news agencies releasing pictures and videos and stuff like that. But this I reporter is up there all the time, and uh, they actually, you know, give assignments for things that, that they want to have, you know, stories about. But uh, you can uh, submit one, and we hear about, or if you've heard about citizen journalism, you know, obviously you uh, have lived here at those events and so um, it's, it's possible to be able to share those not just on a website that you create but actually submit it somewhere and then they'll take content here and sometimes move it over and you know, put it on the main CNN site. So there's other places soliciting that kind of thing but I had heard about this but certainly not been able to see this many pictures and hear from somebody that was involved directly. So glad to help and save your family. I'm really glad nobody died. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of incredible when you look at how expensive all that bird was. Mm-hmm. Well, the winds are still really high, and it's so dry outside. But it's um, yeah. One of the other things, we have, um, I know of at least one video that somebody's done that's kind of a public service announcement. Yeah, the Osage County Fire. So um, this was a, a couple of years ago, but um, it, you know he created this with photos of the fire. But it was basically a public service announcement, like you like you did, you know, talking about why it's so important to be careful with fire and take it seriously because the threat's real. Any other comments? You know, particularly when things like this happen in a community and you have students, we we all need ways of processing things. And fortunately, there wasn't a loss of life in this case. Um, but that's something to think about as far as a lot of times we've got to cover the curriculum. And we, you know, we feel like it's crazy today how pacing guides in different school districts. Some some school districts are literally telling you as a teacher, you have to be on this page at this day, at this moment, you know, talking about this thing. You know, when something like this happens in a community, who cares what the curriculum has? We need to, you know, we need to deal with this issue. So using media and being able to share, um, you know, experiences of things that have happened, but then also draw out some of the lessons learned and be able to, you know, help others learn from it. Um, that's one way that we get confused.
encourage you to start your screener assignment. We talked about screener and screencasting before spring break. I've moved that deadline back a week. Uh, really, it's not that big of a deal. It's a one to three minute screencast. The toughest part is probably planning what you're going to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would recommend that you make an outline for yourself. If you want to write it out, you can and read it, but you don't have to read it. But um, I will have Friday from 8 to 9.30. Again, I will email out, send a text message to confirm this. The lab's available because I haven't reserved it yet. Um, I will check out the microphone. So if you want to do your screencast Friday, if you can come Friday morning to the lab. Um, I will also um, get those checked out so that if you want to stay after class next week when we do our um, uh, video project, um, that, that will be available as well. So. Our final will have questions about the copyright stuff. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, remember, those resources are um, located on our resources page as well as on our schedule. And I do not have everyone's quizzes graded, but I am getting close. And so um, by next week, you should have all of your assignments through quiz four, part of quiz four, all those available on WebCP. If you don't have them by next week, send me an email. If you haven't submitted, please make sure you get that stuff in. We've still got some people who have not submitted those. When will we get our second pizza grade? Um, after your reflection. So that's how oh, it be. Um, okay. The reflection, you'll put that into FCP, and then I'll give you the grade. And you'll also get the feedback forms and everything that okay. everybody sent in. And I'll give that to you as an Excel file attachment. Okay. Have a wonderful week, and hopefully we'll see some of you on Friday morning if you want to come in for um, I just saw that on this one too. So what you can do on the Sullivan page is see where it says available on the separate page. Uh -huh. If you click that, it'll open. Okay. Um, and I'll go and fix them. I just saw that today too. Okay. So I think I need to read this. Yeah. You want to say uh, 30 or 40 minutes? I'll check to make sure for the next class. Uh huh. Yes, and we'll have to check out so you can do it. Well, it'll be a screencast, right? So it's going to be something that's on the screen. So it will work real well if you want to explain how to do something like on a long drive or. Well, it's a screencast, so it's recording what's on your screen. I mean, you could actually have slides up and you could size them to be in your screen like PowerPoint. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do whatever. Well, if you'll take pictures, you can like take the picture. Yeah, and you can, what you have to do is size that box over your PowerPoint. So what you can do is size it.
It's, it's hard to, you know, keep keep up every day. My daughter has, has tried, but 